You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. Oh, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. So good to have, be here today all together on this glorious day. Uh, I'm so thankful that the rain stopped, um, but I'm even more thankful that you guys were able to come out and join with us today um, as we gather as God's people to hear from his word and to fellowship together uh, one to another. Um, all that are able, please be stand with me. Uh, we're going to go ahead and read our passage. We're going to go into, uh, continue our series in the book of Philippians. We'll be, today we'll be looking at a shorter passage of scripture. We're we'll looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. So hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your neighbors. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that I that you saw that I had and now hear that I have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we do praise you and thank you for the good gift of today. God, as always, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. God, I pray that you would take my little and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. Thank you for allowing us to gather once again in your presence and for your glory. I pray that you would allow your word to go forth and not come back void. Let some mind be changed and let some, excuse me, let some mind be transformed and let some heart be changed for the advancement of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Someone said, finally, I get to sit down. So congrats, you have survived, at least, (laughs) apparently, you have survived COVID-19 to gather here today. Uh, But here's the question I want to ask you. How did you fare through it all? Now, be careful about how you answer that question, because I'll be totally honest with you. uh, For me, it was not the most prettiest thing. Better yet, maybe it should ask you this question. How did you... How do we respond to danger or how do we react to fear? You see, there are three natural responses that we have to fear or danger that um, are are typical within humanity as a whole. We either do one or three things. And when we get in places of fear, anxiety or uncertainty, we either fight it. We either freeze or we flee, fight, flee or freeze. And honestly, I think. During this time of quarantine, I did all three. 
um, all at the same time. I'm trying to fight it. I'm trying to flee it. I'm, I'm freezing because there's just so much going on me at the same time. In our passage today in Philippians, what we see is we see Paul responding to the church at Philippi. And he's responding to these three aspects of them doing all three of these things. And we'll talk about them here shortly. They, they had a tendency to fight and to quarrel. They had a tendency to flee, to run away. And they also had a tendency, like us, to freeze. The fighting we see actually not in the passage we see today. We actually see it in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul describes the encounter between these two uh, important women of the church. Philippians 4, chapter 1, reads this way. It says, I urge you, Yoda, and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partners, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. You see that aspect of fighting, that, that aspect of quarreling? We see this aspect of fleeing in the passage that we just saw today, Philippians 1.27. Listen to what Paul says. He says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or I'm, I'm absent, I will hear about what you are, you are doing, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. You see, while the church of Philippi was a very prominent church, this church was a part of the Roman colony, meaning that if you went to if you went to the church of Philippi, um, they were under the auspice. They were under the tutelage. They were under the dictatorship of Rome. And Philippi was actually seen as being a little Rome. And Paul is writing to this church and saying, listen, don't flee from your heritage. Don't flee from your mission. Don't just become like Rome just because you're in Rome. Just this one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. And then we see not just fighting, we not just see fleeing, then we see freezing. Actually, this is my favorite, one of my favorite passages, passages in the Bible, Philippians 1.29. It says, therefore, it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. You see, the church at Philippi was experiencing immense suffering. They were experiencing immense um, um, hardship and turmoil in their lives. And they were confused by the suffering that they were experiencing. You see, out of our suffering, there are two realities that can really happen. One is we can experience something. Um, in a good way and have enjoyment. I like to call it the three E's. Think about your expectation, whatever it may be. You expected this to go a certain way. This is your experience. And if those two things don't match up, usually, excuse me, if those two, th if those two things do match up, your expectation and your experiences match up, then normally you have enjoyment, right? Normally you find, man, this is a great thing. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm actually I'm enjoying it probably more than I ever thought I could. But there's an opposite reality to that, that if your expectation does not meet your experience, then we have what we call embitterment. Then we have what we call um, disappointment and things of that nature. So Paul is writing to this church in the midst of their disappointment. 
He's writing to them in the midst of their turmoil. He's, a, he's writing to them in the midst of their expectation and their experience not matching up. So I want you to hear the words again, a fresh and a passage from, from uh, Philippians 1.27. He says this, he says, as citizens of heaven, as citizens of heaven. You see, Paul is really quick to help us understand two realities that we need to see from the very beginning. That how you suffer matters to God. That how you suffer, how you endure, how you respond to the adversities of life matter to God. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 12, 34. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what Paul is trying to get this church to see and understand is that the realities of the gospel should shape our lives and not simply be words on our lips. That what comes out of you is important. So let me ask you a question. What's come out of you during COVID-19? Better yet, let me ask your spouse. I'm not going to even ask you. Let me ask your best friend. I don't say that to put anyone on blast, and I don't say that to shame anyone. But I say that to help us to understand the context in which Paul is writing to this church. He is seeing things that are coming out of them that he needs to address. And he does so with these three verses that we're about to read. Not only does your suffering matter to God, but how you view yourself matters to God. We say this time and time again. I can probably just say it and you probably can finish it, right? Identity precedes. Oh, gosh. Oh, I must. I need to say it like 20 more times. Identity precedes function. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, my kids right there. (laughs) They get a sermon on that at least once a day. Your identity precedes your function. Now, what does that mean? That means that who we are is more important than what we do. It's not about you just doing things for God. We've been isolated apart from God for weeks and now months. We haven't been able to do Sunday school. We haven't been able to do kids ministry. We haven't been able to do prayer service. We haven't been able to gather. We haven't been able to worship together. But still, you are no less important to God four or five weeks ago than you are right now. He loves you because he loves you, not because you do certain things for him. You cannot earn God's love. You cannot do things for him in order to love, make him love you any more than he already does. He loves you with a perfect eternal love. And if you can sit in that, and if you can allow that to shape your reality, and if you can allow that to shape your identity, it will help you to do things with a sense of enjoyment and not out of a sense of embitterment a lot of the times. I love what David Pollison says about this. He says, indwelling sin does not define you. It opposes you. It is an aberration, not an identity. It's an aberration. Not an identity. So in verse 27, we see from the very beginning as citizens of heaven. Lotus, I'm not making this up, y'all. Identity precedes function. It's right here in the word. The first thing that Paul talks to them about is not what they do, but who they are. He says, as citizens of heaven, as citizens. And he's looking at them and he's saying, listen, behave as citizens, not because Being citizens will make you citizens of heaven. You are citizens of heaven, so therefore align your identity to what you are called to do. The first thing that Paul addresses is not the fighting, not the fleeing, not the freezing, 
The first thing that Paul identifies and the first thing that Paul goes to is their identity in Christ. As citizens do this. I love what one comment, old commentator James Boyce says about this. Montgomery Boyce says, he says this, the first distinguishing mark of Christian conduct is that we stand together. We are to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of priest, peace. Christians are not to divide along doctrinal or sociological lines. They are to be one. He continues to write, which I find most encouraging. He says, unfortunately, evangelical churches are not known for standing together. In fact, the opposite is true. Instead of an honest attempt to join hands across denominational, racial, and cultural barriers for the forbearance of common goals, Christians have all too often sought to tear down those who don't agree with them, even on the most insignificant matters. This this honors Christ. Moreover, it, it hinders the preaching of the gospel. In the place of these divisions, Christians should know a unity that is visible and has practical results. I love that. Let, let me let me take let me take what he what James Boyce said so eloquently and put it in my own language. Uh, basically, this is what he's saying. He's saying true Christianity does not make one choose between your ethnic heritage and Christ. True Christianity says Christ's redeeming work is so powerful that he will image himself through my ethnic heritage and culture and redeem it to build his kingdom. It's very important for us because I want to be very clear about this. This is not a call to unity. Excuse me. This is not a call to uniformity. This is a call to unity. And unity does not mean of purpose. As citizens of heaven, we can stand together for one purpose, living and proclaiming Living and embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ, despite our many differences, despite our socioeconomic, our racial, ethnic, cultural, gender, age, cultural differences. It's a good word for us as a church, even as I look at the beauty of the diversity I see even amongst myself right now. That unity is solidarity around a shared mission. It is a picture from 1965 of Dr. King leading hundreds if not thousands of men and women across the Selma Bridge in Selma, Alabama for voting rights in the South. That's the picture we want to see. Interlocking arms heading in one direction. What we don't want to see and what we don't proclaim is assimilation. Uniformity is assimilation that leads to acceptance. It is a demand that we all think alike, we all pray alike, we all act alike, we all read alike, we all interact and fellowship exactly the same, that we agree on every single political issue with no deviation or no detour. That's uniformity. Uniformity demands that you must pick a side to belong, being red or blue. And I'm not talking about politics, if you know what I'm talking about. You can laugh at that. I'm talking about Louisville and UK and uh, Louisville. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> uniformity demands that you must pick a side to belong, while unity notice if our sample size is too, all, too small 
And maybe we didn't provide an adequate choice from you to choose from. Uniformity desires to alienate every church that is non-white and assimilate them into white culture. Much like taking what edible arrangement does, where they take a variety of fruit and they all dip it in chocolate. It's so good. I love edible arrangements. If you want to send that to me for Father's Day, please do. I won't complain. But assimilation is like taking a beauty, a beautiful array of strawberries and grapes and pineapples and mangoes and papayas. Can you tell I'm hungry right now? I'm hungry thinking about this food. And dipping them in chocolate and putting them together and serving them. Diluting the taste and the flavor from each entity, each fruit that they're supposed to represent. Unity as opposed to that is like a bag of Skittles. (laughs) I love Skittles too. I'm a foodie. (laughs) Unity is much like a bag of Skittles and, and God encouraged us to taste and celebrate the beautiful diversity of being in unity but yet being different. You see, here at our church, our mission is quite clear. We reach people for, with the gospel, we build them as a, up at the church, and we send them out into the world. Our core values, as you not quite, quite know probably by now, is maturity, multi-ethnicity, and missionality. That's what we're going to be about as a church. And if you're going to be a part of this church and be a part of the unity of what we're trying to build and where we're trying to go, if you're going to link arms with us as we move forward, those things will be the pivotal things that we will look to Time and time again. By the grace of God and for the glory of God. So it's a good reminder that unity doesn't mean uniformity. It means oneness of purpose. But secondly, every church serves as an outpost for the kingdom of God. This is a good reminder for us that the reality of the gospel is what purchased our unity. And it is the source of our mission. Hence, we should seek to make known in the present what life will look like in the future. I love what Tony Moretta says um, in his book, Christ-Centered Conflict Resolution. He says this. He says, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has brought us peace with God. He has called us to be peacemakers now. And we do this work by God's grace until Jesus makes all things new, ushering in total shalom where the lion will dwell with the lamb in perfect harmony. Let's seek to bring this future into the present as we pursue peace in our relationships to the glory of God. Let's show the world what kind of king we have and what kind of kingdom we belong to. I love this because it's a good reminder for us as we go forward that while Revelation 7-9 is a great image for us to think about, of every tribe, nation, tongue being before God. I I want you to hear this. It's a good reminder for us that Revelation 7 9 is not just simply a goal for us to achieve. We're not just trying to be diverse because we're we're just, just to be diverse. We're trying to be diverse because God has created us unique and he has saved us individually to come together as his body to serve him and his purposes here in South Louisville and beyond. We don't idolize diversity because diversity is the cool new thing. 
We look at diversity because, and we, 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 we celebrate diversity because Jesus Christ has died for his multi-ethnic bride that you and I both are able to be a part of and to reside in. Not from merit, not from earning it, simply because of his grace. And guess what? In this broken, fallen world, even when we get it wrong, even when it's hard, even when it looks like it's impossible, Revelation 7, 9 serves us as a great uh, reminder that God is going to finish the work that he started. Amen. Amen. Philippians 1, 6, he who began to work in you was faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. And Revelation 7, 9 is not meant for us to idolize. Trying to achieve. God has already achieved it through his blood. He's already unified us by his spirit. Now it's for up to us to learn how to walk therein. Again, remember, identity precedes function. We're not calling you to fight for victory. We're calling you to fight from victory. The victory that Christ has already won. That I can look at every single brother in here who calls Jesus Lord and Savior and say, yes, that is my brother and I love him. Look with me in verse 27b. He says this, just this one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. Live your life worthy of the gospel. And in this, in this sweet reminder, we are reminded of three realities of living our lives worthy of the gospel. Look with them very, very quickly. The first thing is this. He says we, he says this. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Underline that if you can in your Bible or highlight that. What does Paul mean when he says they are to stand firm? This aspect of standing firm is much like a soldier being watchful at his or her post. It, is an, it is, comes from this aspect of do your job mentality. It is an oversimplified reality. One of my favorite coaches in the NFL right now is Coach Bill Belichick. I hate his team, but I love him as a coach. He's a really good coach, but I don't like the Patriots. You can boo me later. But Coach Belichick has a great quote that he always tells his team every single practice. He says, you do your job or you don't. You do your job or you don't. Either you get it done or you don't. There's no in between. There's no gray area. This is exactly what Paul is calling this church to. He says, stand firm. Standing firm in one spirit, standing firm in the gospel and the reality that Christ's blood has purchased for us as his church. Number two, he says, contending together for the faith of the gospel. So if standing firm implies one holding one's ground or being watchful. Contending for the faith speaks to an athletic image of striving together towards one common goal or purpose. It's an image of, again, not just locking arms, but locking arms in order to go forth in battle. Think about uh, an offensive line in, in a football team. Excuse me for all my analogies. I know they're sports heavy right now. I'll work on that next week, I promise. Um, the offensive line has five or six men on the line who are going forward in one mission and one goal. It's a good reminder for us, again, that our unity comes from God. That God is one, but he's manifested himself in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the unity that he calls us to is not some ab it's a kind of um, amb ambiguous, kind of mysterious unity. He's calling us to the uni unity that he himself embodies. 
in his very being. And not only does unity come from God, but unity also reflects our unity, reflects God's unity. And we celebrate our unity amongst and amidst our diversity. I love what Alicia Horton says in the, uh, the little book or the, the great book, My Testimony, My Heritage. It's an exposition on Psalm 119. She says this, if, everybody, if God wanted us to view everything in black and white, he would have never created a rainbow. He uses every part of who we are. God word, God's word teaches us to embrace our own ethnicity and our own heritage. And all that brings us the joy and the pain. So what does it mean to live in the light of the gospel, to live worthy of the gospel? It means to be standing firm in one spirit. It means to contend together for the faith of the gospel. But it also looks at look with me in verse 28. It also means not being frightened in any way by your opponents. See, Paul is calling the Philippians to unite in the struggles that they are having despite outside adversaries. And Paul knows what he's talking about. Remember, Paul, if you would have went back to the early church and asked them, hey, who is your greatest opponent? Who is your greatest enemy? Who is the person that is causing division and causing you to fight amongst each other and to fear amongst each other and to flee from the troubles that you're experiencing? Who would that person be? You know who the early church would have said? Paul. <laughs> yes. They would have said Paul. They would have said, yeah, this guy named, actually, actually times, this guy named Saul, this guy named Saul, he's just a hindrance to the church. He's taking people and, and, and putting them in jail. He's harassing them. He's causing so much strife. See, Paul is calling them to unity, not just because it, it is an image of God and it's a reflection of God's being. He's calling them to unity because he himself um, had been against the church. And every sign of unity that he saw, every sign of joy that he saw, every sign of worshiping Christ despite their impending death was a sign of destruction to even Paul himself as an enemy of the church. And Paul says, you know what? I know things are not going right for you right now. I know things are hostile right now. But yet I remember when I was going against the church. And I remember how I was bringing so much pain against the church. And I tell you what grieved me the most as the enemy of the church was seeing unity despite suffering. To see people love each other and draw near together and not disperse because of the suffering that they were seeing. That's, that's what hurt me as a persecutor of the church. That's what caused me pain and sorrow as an enemy of the church was seeing Unity despite opposition. I love this because here in verse 29, he continues to talk about a very important aspect of kingship. He talks about the three realities of suffering within this world. He says this, uh, it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul here gives us three realities of suffering within our world today. And I'm going to give them to you really quick so you can hopefully be an encouragement to you. And I don't want to. I don't want to overlook and I don't want to underestimate the fact that some of you, even under the sound of my voice right now, may be suffering. You, you may be going through some hardship and pain that no one here truly even knows about. Maybe not even your spouse. Maybe it's financially related. Maybe it's sorrowful. Because of a lost loved one. Maybe it's because 
of the depression or insecurity. Whatever your bout may be, I encourage you to listen to what Paul tells this church to hopefully find hope in the midst of your suffering. He says this. The first thing we see is that suffering is a gift from God. That suffering is a gift from God. And here's the reason why it's a gift from God. Because suffering reminds us to put our hope, to not put our hope in this fallen world. Your suffering is meant to show you and to remind you that this world is not how God created it to be. And that sin has sabotaged our world, but yet and still in Christ, we can be redeemed. I love what N.T. Wright says about this. He says, he says this about evil in his book, Evil and the God of Justice. He says, we cannot and must not soften the blow. We cannot and must not pretend that evil isn't that bad after all. No, for the Christian, the problem is how to understand and celebrate the goodness and God-givenness of creation and at the same time understand and face up to the reality and seriousness of evil. It is easy to solve our problem by watering down one side or the other, saying either that the world isn't really God's good creation or that evil isn't really that bad after all. Suffering is a gift from God because suffering reminds us not to put our hope in this world. The second thing is this, is that suffering brings you closer to God. Believe it or not, that suffering is actually a means which brings you and can bring you closer to God. You see, suffering invites us to live in a fallen world as broken people. You see, we don't just look at this world and say, the problem is out there. The problem is in this neighborhood. The problem is in the needles that we find all across in this grass. The problem isn't out there. The problem is also within. And our suffering reminds us of our brokenness. It reminds us of our need to be made whole by the only one who can make us whole, Jesus Christ, and his cross at Calvary. See, God will never despise us when we're broken before him. Psalm 51, 17 says this, a broken and contrite heart. God will never despise. He'll never turn his face away from brokenness. You want God to draw near? You want God to be close? Be broken before him. He guarantees that is the that is a means and that's the way that God has caused us and asked us to respond to the brokenness that we see in the world. It's to lament. It's to admit and to lay bare and broken before God. To be an empty fountain, be, be an empty pitcher before him as being our, a full fountain. It's saying, God, I, I don't understand and I can't comprehend what I'm going through right now, but I'm here right now asking you to fill me up, to renew me, God. I'm broken. I'm lost. And I need you. See, growth and maturity comes from our discomfort, not from our comfortability. David Paulison puts it this way in his book, in his book, God's Grace in Your Suffering. He says, in suffering, I needed to, I learned to need mercy. Excuse me. In my suffering, I learned to need mercy. From suffering, I learned to give mercy. The living faith that embraces Christ is formed in the crucible of weakness. So not only is suffering a gift from God, not only does suffering bring us closer to God, but lastly, suffering is a, is a mark of us truly walking with God. You see, our suffering makes us long to be made whole by Jesus. 
And suffering for the, for the sake of cross, for the sake of Christ is truly a privilege that he gives us. Remember what Matthew said in the Gospel of Matthew? He says this in Matthew 6, 24. If anyone, Jesus said this words, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So how are we supposed to respond as a church? How do we respond is the question. Let me give you four things that just I would love for us to consider and to, and to respond to as a result of things we've heard. The first thing is this. I want us to live intentionally. My hope and expectation for our church is, is four, four things from the things we've learned. One, live intentionally without fear. Live intentionally without fear. Live as a good citizen of the heavenly state. Don't fear man, fear God. Don't fear man, fear God. My hope and my, my hope and my expectation as we move forward as a church is that we don't simply join the world regarding these, these conversations on racial justice. My desire is that these will be ongoing conversation amongst us as believers. So the next time when it happens, and believe me, it will happen again and again because we live in a broken world. But the next time that it happens, we don't have to look to the world to start the conversation. We can invite them into our conversation that we've already been having. Live intentionally without fear. Number two, live intentionally in fellowship. Live as a partner in spiritual fellowship. Pray for God to use, you, to use us in his mission. Join us in the fellowship that God has called us to here at this church. Number three, live intentionally in friendship. If you're not a part of a community group, if you're not a part of a group of people in here in our church, get involved in a community group. It is an expectation and, and super highly encouraged. <laughs> For you to be a part of a community group, to have brothers and sisters that you can be in friendship with and brothers and sisters who can walk, walk alongside you. And hopefully as we continue to grow, brothers and sisters who don't think like you, act like you or look like you, but believe in the same Jesus that you do. So live intentionally without fear. Live intentionally in fellowship. Live intentionally in friendship. And then finally, live intentionally as followers of Jesus as citizens of heaven. That is my hope and my expectation. And I pray and ask that you will continue to follow along with me as we follow Jesus in this way. Would you pray with me? Father, we do praise you and thank you that you have given us the opportunity to be called citizens of heaven. I thank you, God, that our identity truly does precede our function, that you remind this church in the midst of their suffering of our, their identity. And I pray even in the sound of my voice right now, I pray that those who are suffering, the sufferers who are amongst, uh, amongst us even now, you know who they are, Father. I don't, but you do. I pray that you would remind them of their identity. I pray that you would remind them that you are for them and that you love them and that you have secured them by uh, the blood of your son and his victorious resurrection. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to remain as those who can identify as being citizens of heaven, more so than any political party or any uh, socioeconomic status or any um, racial uh, culture that we try to 
are put above you. God, we want and we want to see you for who you are. So I pray, Lord, that you would grow us in this way, and I pray that you would grow us to be intentional in this way. Thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for not allowing it to rain on us even now, uh, keeping us safe and keeping us cool. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to partake of our communion. So if you have your communion cups, please go ahead and take those out at this time. Um, each week we want to take time to celebrate the life, the burial, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we do so by taking this meal of simply a bread and the juice. The bread has reminded us of the brokenness of our Savior. And the, and the juice is reminded of the shed blood at the cross of Calvary. Matthew 26 says this. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broken. He gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Let us take and eat the bread together. Amen. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Let us take and drink this cup together, remembering the shed blood of our Savior. Let's take and drink together. Jesus continues to say, but I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.